Masserani, and um, I'm going to be reading portions of scripture from Isaiah 58, Isaiah 61, and Acts 4. They're behind you, behind me. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to comfort all who mourn, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. If you do, awake with the, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is God's word. Hey, Brian, did you take my little note paper? Is it on the floor? Oh, right on. Thanks. <coughs> One of the songs we just sang, uh, good morning. One of the songs we just sang was, um, you know, the, the song ends with, my heart will sing no other name, Jesus. Jesus. The reason we say that, and, and for some of you that may be very familiar kind of language, familiar in our songs. Other of you might think, why is this church so much about Jesus all the time? It's because we believe that as Christ has come into our world, Jesus Christ, that he has changed everything for everyone. That in a sense, we re-understand history through his presence, and he changed every day afterwards from the time that he came. And he is not just a historical figure that we look back on and appreciate his contribution to society, though he has been probably the most influential person in all of history. But we understand that actually he came to change the way human beings interact with one another and change all of our lives. It's what we have been calling over the last few weeks a new normal. That as Christ has come into our lives and, and as he birthed the church, which is really the followers of Jesus, and they were the, the very first church was called followers of the way, and it was the way of Christ. And that the word Christian, as I've said to you before, means little Christ. That we are meant to, in a sense, have our lives continually shaped by him, by his life, by his teaching, by his death, and by his resurrection. And that we are meant to follow in his path. It means that as Christ comes into our lives, and for some of you that are saying, well, I'm not sure where I'm at on that journey, this is helpful for you to say, well, what does it actually mean to be a Christ follower? That actually he comes in and doesn't just sort of tweak little pieces of our lives and add some moral wisdom and a little bit of insight and try to be a better person, but that actually he has changed the trajectory of the human race and given us a new way of living, uh, what is a new normal. 
And the new normal we've been exploring uh, as a community, we've said what the way actually change happens in our lives, because every one of us, in a sense, if we're honest with ourselves, wants change. The way change happens in the lives of the people around us, because if we're honest, every one of us wants the people around us to change too. And, and I said to you, if we don't, that just means we don't love people. We actually want people to be free, want them to be more of who God has made them to be. We want our culture to be changed and shaped in the directions of the way God would lead. But the way that happens is not from us trying harder or us wagging our finger at each other or even, you know, which is what religion has been sort of accused of, rightly so, over the years of trying to manipulate people, trying to control people, trying to change people. The way change happens is when Christ comes into each human life and begins to reshape thoughts, emotions, attitudes, and therefore the community of Christ becomes an alternate community. The example I gave you was uh, from Craig Van Gelder's book, What is the Essence of the Church? And he was describing how growing up in Iowa as a part of a farming family, that uh, the, the state would hire extension agents every year to come and show new farming methods to the farmers who were there. And invariably, they would all be resistant to those methods. And so one of the, the um, strategies that the extension agents would use would be to buy a plot of land in the middle of town and use all of the new seed and the new methods and the new uh, equipment and as all the farming community around would watch a bit skeptical in the spring and the summer, but very curious in the fall, and they would see invariably that the new methods outperformed the old ways, and by the next uh, season, Craig said, my dad and everybody else would be using the new methods as if it had been their own forever. And he called, they called those plots of land demonstration plots. And his assertion, which I have said to you, is that the church is God's demonstration plot in the world. That in a sense, our job is not to go out and change people, but to be a changed community. A community that is so alive with the presence of Jesus. Not a perfect community, but an authentic one. In fact, more authentic and true and willing to confess and repent and acknowledge the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior. But a community that freely exchanges grace. A community so filled with the presence of Jesus that things grow up that are beautiful, that would make the rest of the world who otherwise would say, I want nothing to do with religion, I want nothing to do with the church, I want nothing to do with all of that stuff, actually lean in and say, I think I want to know a little bit more about that. Because what I see in your life is a demonstration to me of something that's actually not normal at all and things that I actually want in my life. What is it about you? What is it about that community? That is both a very simple, freeing thing because it realize, wow, I don't have to go around changing people. I don't have to go around telling people what to do. And yet it's a, very, it's, it's a very heavy thing to realize, wow, actually my life is the signpost. My life is the living witness to the reality of Jesus and that our lives as a community, this is the good news, that we have been brought together not to do this alone, but to be a community that reflects to the world around us that Jesus is alive and that he has come to set us free and to change us and to give us a new way of living. So we've explored over these last few weeks, and if you haven't caught any of them, you can catch up on them online. What does it mean to be the, the new normal community? What does that actually look like? We talked first about selfless community, that we are ultimately a community of people who are marked by the humility of Jesus. And humility is not about thinking less of ourselves, but just thinking of ourselves less. That Christ frees us to actually forget ourselves in a blessed way, and care about other people. That, that, that's part of the new normal, a community like that. That secondly, we are a community of bold witnesses. That we have a message of the 
witness to the historical reality and the events of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is simply the message we proclaim is that Jesus has come and because he has died and risen from the dead, everything has changed, my life has changed. And so I challenged us as a community to be people who are willing to tell our Jesus story. It looks different in every one of our lives, but he is the one thing that is the same. That we're a community, selfless community, bold witness, that we're a community that dependently prays as our real, we realize that all that we have in life, that God rescues us from this prayer life that's just help me, bless me, protect me into a whole new way of living in prayer and dependence on God and his Holy Spirit that has come to do powerful things in our lives. And today, finally, we end this series talking about the kind of community that we are meant to be ultimately is a sacrificial community, a community, a community that sacrificially serves. One of the things I have realized about this, going through this whole series, is that uh, as one author has said, many of us see our lives as a play where we are the main actor on the stage and everybody else in our lives is supporting actors and actresses or props or orchestra or lighting, all aimed at making us look good. And that's not just for those of us who think a lot of ourselves, those of us that think too little of ourselves. The problem is the same. It is ourselves, the obsession with ourselves. And as Christ comes into our life and rescues us, the new normal is to say, it's not about you. That the, the blessing we receive from receiving Christ and his new way of living into our lives is it frees us to think about ourselves less and to enter into a whole new way of living. And that is the greatest challenge of it because it challenges me. It challenges me to think about myself differently and live differently and act differently. And the passage that was read for you this morning is no different. And in a sense, it wraps up this whole series for us and says, okay, what does it mean to be a new normal community? And Bryden read a little bit of that for you. It's from the book of Acts, which is what we're using as our guide to the new normal because this is the biography, in a sense, or the story of the church, the first community of Jesus' followers. And if you noted in here, the first few verses, I want to talk through that today. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. It says here that they were of one heart and one mind. Now, this doesn't mean, and we know from the individuals in that first church, they, were not, they didn't all think the same or feel the same. They weren't just sort of this monolithic mass of brainwashed people who were all the same. But it, it's a describing this idea of saying, in the convictions of their heart, in what they believed was most important in life, in what shaped their thinking, and what shaped their actions, and what shaped what they believe at the deepest part of their hearts, they were united on. And there are two statements that follow, actually, that give us a really powerful illustration of what were those two things that united that church, that are probably the most accurate descriptors of that early church. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And they continued to testify about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These were the things that this first community was completely united on. First of all, that what they had was not their own. It was a conviction about themselves, their lives. They believed that what they had been given was not just for them. Ultimately, it, we can say it this way, that they believe that what I've been given is to be given away. This was their conviction. This was the belief they shared in common, that what I have been given, what were they given? Essentially, first of all, they were given possessions, 
wealth, life, opportunity, real estate, is this description of this church that they had been given a whole bunch of things and every one of them realized that what I, such a powerful statement, we read it so quickly if you've read it before. Each one believed that what they had been given was not their own. That what I've been given materially is to be given away. And we see this in the early church. There were some who had a lot materially and others who didn't. And it said that the ones who had a lot gave to the point that nobody had any needs. So this was not just like giving a little bit. This was actually a a picture in this small community of leveling the entire playing field, which means those who had a lot gave a lot to lift up the ones who had little. And suddenly they looked around and said, wait, everybody's covered. Not only was it financially, we know they liquidated assets. We know actually people were using positions of influence. They were using gifts. They were using talents. They were pouring time and energy. All of these people who are gathering around this movement of, as, of the way, the followers of Jesus, were realizing they, what I have in my life is not just for me. In fact, it's to be given away. And so it's this picture of them freely sharing with each other everything that they had in life. The other thing that they had to be given away was the witness of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they gave it away to everyone. What we see in the early church was that they were always talking about Jesus. They were talking about Jesus with each other. They were talking about Jesus with their neighbors, with their friends, with family, with people of great importance, people of no importance, people who seemed to be very wealthy, people who seemed to have very little. People who seem to be very close, you know, who some of them would have thought, well, the Jews are close because they've been waiting for this whole Messiah, and so they would talk to them about Jesus. And then they would talk to the Greeks and the Romans who seemed to have no interest. They talked to people who were leaning in. They talked to people who said, you guys are crazy. They gave away the message of Jesus everywhere they went. They shared their lives. And Tony said this to you before, is this picture of what home groups are, right? Sharing our lives and sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. This was what marked this community. That what they had been given was to be given away. Not only did they not hang on to their possessions, but they realized, oh my goodness, all of this that we're realizing about what Jesus has given to us is not just for us. It's to be given away. And friends, that is the mark of the new normal community. That we realize that what we have been given is to be given away. What I have in my life is not just for me, it's actually given to me to be given away. So I ask you, when you think about the message of the Lord Jesus Christ that you have, what is it that you have been given? What is it that we sing about and talk about and pray about and throw our hands up in the air about? It's because we have been given grace instead of judgment. And not just once, but over and over and over again. We have been given a forgiveness, a depth of love that never runs out. We have been given a relationship with the living God who will not one day say, you know what, that's enough. This far and no further. Your love never fails, never runs out on me. You stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. That's what we've received. The love, grace, and forgiveness of God. What else have you received because of Jesus? You've received what the cross tells us over and over is that there is pain in the night, but it doesn't last forever. And that suffering, no matter how bad it gets, can still be redeemed and used by God to bring about new life. That it is a cross, but it is an empty one. And that is not just for Jesus. It means that, hey, no matter how dark the dark night of my soul is, that God has not forgotten me. 
And that one day, my pain will even be used for my joy, and I will look back and be able to laugh on what has happened because of where God has brought me to in life. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ and the empty grave tells us. It also tells us that one day we too will be resurrected, that this life, this world is not our home. So whether you think you're winning a lot or losing by a long shot, that one day sickness and death will take over and you will eventually die, but it will not be the end because death does not have the final word. And that one day all of us in Christ along with a new creation will be birthed and we will find our lives forever the fulfillment of all of the longings that we have for meaning and purpose and joy and satisfaction and significance and pleasure. No more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sadness. All of this we have in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. This whole place should be amen corner, okay? We don't need like one little section. Now let me ask you this. For those of you that would say, yes, that, that is what I have. Do you know anybody else in your life that needs that? How about everyone? Do you know anyone who doesn't need forgiveness of sins? Who doesn't need a restart? Who doesn't need freedom from addictions? Who doesn't need freedom from an obsession with self? Who doesn't need freedom from possessions and things that define us? Who doesn't need freedom from the approval of other people ruling our lives? who doesn't need to know that what they're going through right now is, is just temporary and that one day God's going to heal them? Who, who, do you know anyone who doesn't need to know that? Doesn't, I, I just thought this week, everyone in my life needs to know this. So why aren't you telling them? And I'm kicking you in the butt. I'll turn around. You can kick me now. Just say, VJ, why aren't you telling them? I don't know. Because I'm afraid? Because I'm distracted? Because I'm worried that it won't come out right or they'll misunderstand me or that they'll think I'm weird. I don't know why. I don't know what it is for you. But all I know is what I have been given is not just so I can sit or we can sit in here as Jesus people and look at the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and saying, oh, you stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. But we're going to go out here and we're, not just, we're just not going to tell anybody about that love. Really? What we have been given is to be given away. And friends, I'm so challenged by the early church when I read the page. They just gave it away to everyone. It didn't seem to bother them that some people thought they were crazy because they knew there were some people that were sitting there going, I think I want to know a bit more. And what I said to you a couple weeks is, it's not our job to do the miracle that needs to happen in every life, the same miracle that happened in your life, because you weren't born a Christian, you weren't born a follower of Jesus. All of us were born with a stiff arm towards God. And some miracle happened in your life because somebody told you, whether it was your parents, whether it was a friend, whether it was whoever, somebody brought you to know Jesus and your eyes, though they were closed, were then opened. And your heart, that it was hard to the words of God, is now open and soft. And your mind, which was committed to doing things that were destructive and not interested, is suddenly now renewed and you have a capacity to know the love of God. It is a miracle that God has done in your life. And you cannot make that happen in anyone else's life. But the way that God has designed that it works, that is, is we freely give away the witness to what Jesus has done in our lives. He does that miracle, and we don't get to decide who or how or when in what way. And so we freely give it away. But then we are also meant to be people who take whatever else is in our hands. Some of us have time on our hands. Maybe you're in a season right now where you have time on your hands. Maybe you're in a, a stage of life, maybe retirement, where you have time on your hands. 
Maybe you've just come out. Maybe you've got kids who are a little bit older or they've left the house. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you're working part-time. But what you have in your hands is time. Not everybody does, but some people do. And the new community, the new normal is to say, okay, what I have been given is to be given away. So God, why did you give me this time? What do you want me to do with it? It's not meant for me to hoard it. It's not meant for me to hang on tightly. It's meant for me to actually give it away. So God, where do you want me to spend this? Because time is even more valuable in many respects in our culture than money. Some of us have money. And we need the money for our food, shelter, and clothing. But beyond that, if you think about it, most of the rest of what we spend money on, for some of us, is a choice. We don't have to spend it on that. We need food, shelter, and clothing. But the rest of it is our choice. And so for some of us, I think, well, I don't have that much. But whatever we have beyond food, shelter, and clothing is a lot. And it's a lot compared to the rest of the world. And one of the most freeing questions we can begin to ask that changes the game for us the way we look at our money is, God, why do I have so much? Why have you put this in my hands? Why have you given this to me? It's not just for me. Who do I need to give it to? How do I need to give it? How do I need to use this for others? And then all of us have talents, energy, gifts that are meant to, in a sense, be freely spent on those around us. And if you don't know what your gifts are and the way God has made you, that there's talents and natural talents and abilities we have, there's, there's opportunities that we have, influence we have because of our jobs or whatever, and then there are these things called spiritual gifts, which are actually given to us as we come to Jesus Christ. And a little, in a few months, we're going to explore what those actually look like in our lives. But to say, well, God has gifted me with a way of being that is unique to me and that he's actually given it to me to give it away. It changes everything in our lives when we begin to say, what I have been given is to be given away to each other in this community and to the community around us. That the church, is, in, a, in a sense, is this community where we, we actually freely exchange grace, where we're actually free enough in ourselves to try giving to one another. In a sense, the church becomes that demonstration plot or that practice arena. How, how, do, we, how do we learn to become generous with what we have? whether it's time, whether it's money, whether it's talents, abilities, is within this community where we know, look, umbrella of grace, we all know nobody's perfect, but I'm going to try and step out here and do this and give this and pray about this and serve another person. It begins to teach us. It's the learning ground for what it means to give away what we have been given. And then as that happens, the church starts to overflow with generosity and starts to bless the community around us. And friends, I believe that one of the things that holds us back from freely sharing, whether it's freely sharing the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ that we've been given or freely sharing everything else we have, is that we look at someone else who we think does it so well and we're like, well, I'm not like that. I, I can't do that. You know, you know, that person just seems to be so comfortable talking about Jesus and I always stumble over my words. Or, or that person, they just seem so generous. They just seem to be able to give money or write checks or whatever. Or they, have, they have so many talents and they can clearly, what they have is to be given away. But I don't have, I only have, or I'm not like this. And the beginning of freedom in our lives is to say, okay, whatever I have been given is to be given away. And I'm certainly not empty-handed. That what I have been given, time, money, opportunity, influence, gifts, talents, job opportunities, and ultimately, my Jesus story is to be shared 
is to be given away. And I don't need to tell my Jesus story like somebody else does. I just need to tell it my way. And I don't need to be generous like someone else does. I just need to be generous my way. I need to understand and start praying, okay, God, how do you want to do that? And one of the things I love being in this role is to see how so many of you do, do this in so many different ways. Dave Clements, one of the elders in our church who's working at a company now, just said recently, he, he said to me, VJ, at this stage in life now, he said, I don't worry about what anyone else thinks of me. He says, like, I feel like I'm playing with house money. So he felt like God was saying to him, look, this company you work for, they need prayer because they're not that good at customer service and they need more Jesus in their lives. So Dave said to them, okay, I'm going to start praying with you at our company meeting. And so he went out and asked the president and said, can I do this? And they said, yes. So he just started doing it. And they thought, he thought it was a one-shot deal, and they said, okay, well, we'll do it again next week. And so now he just prays for them, and he told them, We're, I'm praying for you so that our company can do better because you don't have enough Jesus in your lives here because we don't treat our customers well. That's what is in Dave's hands, a gift of boldness and where he worked. There are other people, some, some of you are not going to like me calling you out, but I'm just doing it because I just need to illustrate this. Last year when we were kind of down in a budget, we had to tighten up our budget, and Judy Beggs called me, and she said, look, I have time. Can I come clean the office once a week so you guys don't have to spend money on a cleaner? This is the kind of stuff most people won't know about. It's such a blessing to us as staff in that place. Rob Kademi was telling me about how I remember actually going in with the, to the paint store with him one time, and I said to him, Rob, it's like Cheers. Remember Cheers? You know, when, whenever, who, whenever Sammy would walk in, hey, Sammy. This was like the paint store where Rob gets, goes and gets his paint from. He walks in, hey, Robbie. And then they just sit around talking about life and faith in Jesus. And that's where he lives. And that's what God has put in his hands to freely give away. There are so many others of you that freely give what you have in this church. And, and what I see is the more that you give, you give more. It just kind of starts to compound. So many of you have given generously to Guinea, to Wayne and Catherine in Central Asia, to human trafficking. You've given your time. All of a sudden, something is tweaked in your heart, and you said, yeah, I want to do this, and you've poured your time out. Others of you pray regularly and faithfully for the leaders in our church, for different people in our church, others of you on a prayer list that whenever we send out, you say, I have time, I want to pray. So many of you serve the kids in our community. So many of you give time in worship ministry. Howard Chung spends so much of his time doing research for us because we're all so technically challenged in the office. And he goes above and beyond all the time. Long before he sort of accepted a role as deacon, he was cooking food for people because that's just what he loves to do. It's what God has put in his hands. None of us are heroes. I'm not calling out any of these people to say they're better than any of us. I'm calling to say it looks like whatever it looks like in your life. The common thing is this. Am I willing to say what has been given to me is to be given away? Not because I need to earn favor with God. I already have favor with God. Not because it's going to put me in a better standing with Jesus because all of us have the same standing of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us have been given that gift by what he has done. But it says, okay, what is in my hands is not just for me. What I've been given is to be given away. Now, one of the amazing things you'll find with the church, the first church, when they started to do this, it radically transformed the community around them. The early church was in the most hostile environment that a church could ever find itself in. It was a small group of people 
who were challenging basically all of the cultural and religious norms of everything around them. Judaism wanted to stamp them out because there was no way that God could have become a man, and that's what they were saying about Jesus. The Romans wanted to stamp them out because it was creating so much chaos in this empire that more and more people of importance and significance, even within the Roman Empire, were becoming Christians, and it was challenging their big sort of pantheon of gods. It was challenging Rome's crushing grip, and they had crucified this man as they had crucified so many other people as a symbol of this is what happens to people who cross Rome, and now the Rome, the cross was empty, and now he, his, his followers were saying he'd risen from the dead, and everything was turning upside down for them. It was challenging the Greco-Roman world that wanted to think that, you know, gods can never be men and that the flesh is kind of, you know, sort of of the earth, so it doesn't matter what you do with your life. And the ethic of the New Testament church was challenging everything. And so there was no reason that they should have grown. And yet one of the primary reasons the church exploded historically is because of the resurrection that had so changed their mind about what they had been given and that they freely gave it away. John Orberg in his book, who is this man, the unpredictable impact, the inescapable Jesus, said it this way. As Christian communities responded to the hungry and the sick, even outsiders took notice. By the late 4th century, an opponent of the faith, Emperor Julian the Apostate, Roman Emperor, chastised pagan priests for not keeping up. And this is what he said. I think that when the poor happened to be neglected and overlooked by the priests, the impious Galileans, he's talking about Christians, observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. The impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well, and everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. Every community in that day and even now looks after their own, but only the community of Jesus, as they are looking after their own, realize that what we have been given is to be given away and starts looking after those who are not their own. And when the plague ripped through Rome, and people who were still alive but infected with the plague, thrown out in the streets by their own family because they were so afraid of becoming infected. It was the Christians who cared for them, who got the plague themselves, who died because of it. And even the Emperor Julian, who hated Christians, said, I cannot help but notice that they are caring for our own people better than we are. This was the community of Jesus as they realized what we have been given is to be given away. It was starting to transform how the rest of the world, and it's not just Julian. If you read m many of the historical accounts of the first couple of centuries, people who were not sympathetic to the cause of Christ, who didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was, could not help but notice the way that Jesus' followers lived. A couple of hundred years later, Gregory of Nyssa made this comment to the church as part of the Council of Nyssa. He says this, Lepers have been made in the image of God. He's talking about caring for the sick. Lepers have been made in the image of God in the same way you and I have and perhaps preserve that image better than we let us take care of Christ while there is still time. Because Jesus said, whatever you do to them, you do to me. Let us minister to Christ's needs. Let us give Christ nourishment. Let us clothe Christ. Let us gather Christ in. Let us show Christ honor. That was the beginning of what would come to be known as hospitals. The Council of Nyssa, the same council that affirmed the Nicene Creed, decreed that wherever a cathedral existed, there must be a hospice, a place of caring for the sick and poor. That is why even today many hospitals have such names as Good Samaritan or Good Shepherd or St. Anthony. They were the world's first voluntary charitable institutions. Literally the idea that a community has a responsibility to care for the sick came from the community of Jesus that was so transformed by a Savior who, who had come to give his self, himself away. And this is how we are transformed as we realize that what I've been given is to be given away. In 1982, a novel, Schindler's Ark, was written about Oscar Schindler, who many of you know then from the movie that was made in 1993, 
about Schindler's List, about this man who was a spy for the Nazis, and he was running a production company in Poland. And many Jews were working for him. And because he was making a lot of money, he didn't want to lose. He had about 1,000 Jews who were his employees, and they were working hard, and he was making a lot of money. And so he bribed the Nazi police and officials that he knew well to stay away from him so he could protect his workers so he could make money. But as the story goes, the more he protected them, the more he actually came to see them as human beings and to love them. And so then he started to pay more and more money at the cost of his own company. And now it became how much money could he free up from his company to protect these people. And he saved over a thousand Jews and managed to get them out of the country and out of Poland. And at the end of his life, you remember at the end of the movie, you know, he, he, he looks upon all of these people that he saved and then he starts to, to break down because he starts to realize, my car, if I had only given away my car, I could have saved 10 more people. This pin I'm wearing, I probably could have bribed that and saved another person. And he started to become overcome with grief because his whole mind had been changed. He now saw everything that he have, had and everything that he owned in light of the people he was trying to save. It's a beautiful picture of the whole mind being transformed from caring about the self, hanging on to what is for me, and suddenly realizing, wait, what I have been given is to be given away, and now everything in my life is up for grabs. Everything in my life could be given away and used to redeem and rescue others. And yet at the end of the, the movie, at least, he's actually overcome with grief and guilt, and he breaks down crying. And I remember watching it thinking, there's something right and there's something wrong about that. He was so right to start to realize that everything in his life now could be used in the service of other people. And yet he was overcome with guilt. And what I realized is that is not the message of the cross to us. God has not given you something to give away because if you don't, you will have wasted it and he's going to be angry with you. Although there is this idea in scripture of saying, well, what has been given in your hands is to be given away. But the fundamental principle that you will see through all of scripture is this. What I have been given is to be given away so that I can be given more. What I've been given is to be given away so that I can be given more. Not so that we can obsess and feel guilty about what we have and what we haven't done, but so that we can realize true blessing comes in your life when you give away what you have been given. That the ultimate motivator for generosity, according to scripture, is not obedience or duty or to curry favor with God, but blessing. That as you give, you will be blessed. As you realize what I have been given is to be given away so that I can be given more, what you realize is this, the more I give away, and, and I know many of you have experienced this, when you have had a chance to give away the message of Jesus to somebody else, doesn't, doesn't something inside you come alive? Doesn't something inside you just explode? And if you've ever had that incredible privilege of seeing someone who wanted nothing to do with Jesus and yet somehow through your life and maybe many other people's God did a miracle in their life, there is nothing like it. And you have also had the experience of taking some money that you had and giving it away or taking some of your time and investing it and going beyond what you normally would have. And what you find in the end actually is you have been blessed and I have found over and over that what I end up in my hands with is more. I end up feeling like I have more time the more time I give. The more of myself that I give away, the more I feel full and enriched. The more money we give away, the more money God gives back to us. 
I'm telling you, the math does not work. This is a faith experience. And it is the kind of giving that will cost you. For people in the early church who had much to so give that they leveled the entire playing field, they had to give at a very costly level. It wasn't a small amount here and there. For some, it may have been a small amount, but it meant a lot to them because there wasn't much left over. It is the kind of giving that says, I'm not going to hold this back. I'm going to trust that if I give this away, not only will it do something in that person's life, but somehow God will give me more and trust me with more. And you look through all the scripture, you'll find this over and over and over again, that what I've been given is to be given away so that I can be given more, that I can experience the blessing of pouring my life out and seeing in the end that my cup is still full, actually fuller than when I first poured it out. I do not know how this works, friends. All I can tell you is it's a faith experience. That the more you pour out, the more you give, the more you spend yourself, the more comes back to you. And some of you know what this is, and some of you said, I I don't think I know that yet. I don't think I've experienced that yet. This week we had an opportunity to, uh, I was speaking at a camp uh, where Jen used to work years ago. And I was speaking four times, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, in the morning. And then the rest of the time, we just said, okay, God, whatever you want to do in our lives, whatever you want to, you know, use us to help these kids. There was 350 staff from the ages of like 16 to 22 who were preparing for 10 weeks of camp. And we saw God use us in so many different ways and pull us into situations and conversations and prayer times that we would have never anticipated. And I come back to my room every night at like 11 o'clock, and I said to Jen, I feel so full. I feel so alive. This beats the heck out of whatever else I would be doing to put my feet up or thinking that I'm going to get rest. That there are times when God actually gives us an opportunity to pour our lives out and we don't hold anything back that somehow we find in our cup, in our hands, is more than what we first gave. The scriptures say, actually, whoever strives to keep their life will lose it. Whoever loses it, whoever gives it away, finds it. This is the new normal. This is this paradox principle, this upside-down kingdom, this math that doesn't work except in the community of faith and the community of Christ because we worship a Savior who held nothing back. We see somehow if I give what I have been given, I will be given more. And so I ask you, what have you been given? First of all, you have been given, for those of you that have received Jesus as your Savior, the gospel. And so who can I give it away to, though it may cost me? It may cost you reputation. It may cost you going out on a limb. It may cost you time that you don't think you have to actually call up that person and say, you know what, there's been something I've been wanting to tell you for a long time. I've kind of been hiding something from you and I don't want to hide it anymore. I've kind of been holding back on something and I don't want to hold back anymore. There's something that is so delightful in my life that I've never, ever told you about. I don't want to hold it back from you anymore. It will cost you. But who in your life needs to know? In your way, in your voice, your story. Jesus that has been given to you. And what else do you have? Your time, your money, your abilities, your home. Some of you are just amazing at just opening up your home and having people fill it. And they love being there. And you wonder, why do they hang around till like 10, 11, 12, 1 in the morning? Because you have a gift of making people feel welcome. Who can you open that up to? If you have time, God, where can I use that in this church, in this community? If I have money and I'm wondering, why do I have so much? God, who's this for? Because what I've been given has been given away that I could be given more. And here's what I have experienced. 
you don't have to do anything more than just start saying, okay, God, what have I been given? Show me what to do with it. Every time I have prayed that prayer, something comes up almost the next day. That's all you need to do. You don't need to make this happen. You just need to be willing to say, okay, I will look at what, what, what tell me what you've given me. Some of you know exactly what that is. Others are like, I don't know what that looks like. And let me be willing to do it. And God will show you. He will open up an opportunity to do it. The worship team is going to come and lead us in a few songs of response. But I want to remind you of this as we go. You have no idea what will happen if you take a step like this to do this. When I was speaking at this camp, it's a staff week for, for, for all of these kids who were there. 21 years ago, my wife was sitting in that group. She was 19. She was coming on staff there, was coming out of a period in life where she felt stuck, where she felt in a hole, where she felt like she had made some bad decisions, where she felt like just piled up with guilt and a weight of shame. And in that week, Jesus just lifted the burden off her and said, Jen, like, do life with me my way. And she said, okay, I will. Ten years ago, she had quit her job and she was tutoring math to a student from a school that she connected with. And that girl saw that Jen was wearing this Muskoka Woods sweatshirt. She's like, oh, I want to apply to that camp. What do I write down for all this faith stuff? Jen said, well, just be honest. But instead she Googled it and just wrote down a bunch of stuff about Jesus. She didn't know Jesus, didn't know anything about it, just wanted to work at the camp. Five years later, we come up to the camp just to visit friends, and this girl, is, and, and actually today she's leading most of the entire camp, is such a passionate follower of Jesus and is now helping all these other kids who were like her come to know Christ, freely giving her life away. You never know how what you do. And at that moment, Jen just decided she was going to pray for that girl. She didn't tell her about Jesus, didn't, you know, she just said, oh, I'm going to pray that somehow she would know the Christ that she's Googling about and writing answers down to. You never know how one thing is going to lead to another in your life. And so I just want to pray that for you as we stand up together and worship. God, I pray that the decisions we make over the next couple of days, the prayers that we pray, to have you change us, to have you show us what's in our hands and who it needs to be given to, would be used by you to do miracles we could never do, and that somehow you would give us a glimpse of how a small step of faith leads to something so beautiful that we could never make happen, but that we are so enriched by because of it. We thank you that as we give, you give us more, and that we could never outgive you. And so bless us with generous, courageous, faithful hearts today in your name. Amen. I want to bless you with two things this morning, a less and a more. <laughs> I want to bless you with not just less, but conquered fear in your lives. That whatever is making you afraid, you would have found even this morning that Jesus is alive. I have nothing left to fear. What can anyone do to me? That whatever fear is holding you back, that it would be conquered, that, it would, be, that it would be disappearing even now as we have been in his presence. And I want to bless you with more of more. That as you give what is in your hands, you will suddenly find there's more coming, there's more coming. And it will make you go, I can't give this away fast enough. Less fear and more and more in the name of Jesus and the Father God and the Holy Spirit. Amen.